I've just seen too many leaders buy into the lie that somehow they're supposed to do this alone and that God has called them to be this lone figure at the top of the mountain. That is such a recipe for disaster. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Alan. And I'm David. And we're going to talk about a much needed topic right now. David and I are both really passionate about this idea, and uh, it is no accident that we're talking about it right now. We are heading into election season, and we know from the last election that things often get ugly, especially online around election season. There was a lot of negativity, and it is perhaps the most divided season we've seen in our country in a long time. And again, online, you have people hurling insults against other people. You have people saying you shouldn't be talking about this or about that. And the reality is a disunified world right now needs to see a unified church. And that's what we're going to talk about with our guest today, Greg Holder. But before we kind of crack that open, David and I wanted to be real vulnerable with you guys as well. So David, where do you wrestle with this topic of unity, with holding ground, with being honest? especially as a leader. Yeah. Honestly, when I think about politics uh, specifically, I, I don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Me being in Enneagram 9, it's really, really easy when I'm unhealthy to avoid things and to be a peacekeeper rather than a peacemaker. And so, but when I think about it, leadership isn't about avoiding that disunity or conflict. We need to be able to speak into it. And the church does need to reflect a different way, a different kingdom, a different value structure. And unfortunately, I think the church is contributing to the disunity in our culture uh, and contributing to the culture war. And that can't be uh, what the church is about. And we're known almost always by people from the outside of the things that we are against rather than the things that we're for. I actually look at this as an opportunity this season um, as we move towards the election uh, to lead, to actually lead in in reflecting a different way, uh, a different form of doing things and to actually pursue unity. So as scary as it is as pastors to delve into those waters, I look at this as an incredible opportunity um, to reflect a completely different culture back to a divided world. What do you think, Alan? Yeah, the difference between unity and uniformity has always been really helpful to me. Uniformity is everybody agreeing, or at least acting like we agree, which ends up being just an echo chamber of people that are just like us, mm -hmm. everybody that's going to you know, vote for the same person, say the same person, read the same books. And there's not a diversity in that. I don't believe that expresses the kingdom with life, with color, with vibrancy. But unity is saying we are going to agree on what really matters, and we're going to leave the other things way behind us at the door. We hear about churches that will actually put you know, a candidate and platform a candidate up there. We've seen how that has gone wrong and really how that actually uniformity snuffs out unity. And uh, I think it's a tough, it is such a tough balance. And I think this is a call, especially this election season, is a call to discernment for us. And I think a call to have real conversation, honestly, to say we want to mm -hmm. start a conversation here on the podcast. And David and I want to sort of bring up topics that really matter, that we need to be talking about. 
But the reality is if we're just tweeting this out, if we're just sharing articles that share our side, um, then we need to pull back. And we actually need to have real conversations with real people. And And I hear Greg calling us to that. And he is a pastor of a church in St. Louis. And so he's not speaking from some high and mighty stage. He's talking to us from the trenches. And I hope you enjoy this much needed conversation with Greg Holder. Well, we've got another great conversation for you today. We've got Greg Holder on the podcast. Greg is a pastor of The Crossing. Uh, outside of St. Louis is an author. Uh, we're going to talk about his book, The Genius of One, but also going to talk a little bit, maybe peek into his next book that's coming out. So, Greg, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Alan. And I want to just say this at the outset. I know we're going to get into this, but just thanks for thanks for pouring into people really um, around some topics that like you and I were talking earlier, they're not exactly the ones that, that people initially want to talk about, but I think it is absolutely essential for us to focus on some of the things that you guys are doing here on this podcast. So I just want to say thank you for that up front. Well, absolutely, man. It's, we we do feel like it's a, a calling. There's a space of, of overwhelm and burnout, and we could get a whole lot of things right and get a few things wrong. And, um, it would take us, it would take us nowhere. So, um, you seem like just a great fit for today's podcast. I'm excited to kind of crack open the message, but before we do that, um, give us a little bit of background on your leadership and ministry. Yeah. So I come out of the marketplace. I have a uh, degree in, in psychology and a degree in counseling, uh, actually started off at our church. Um, we were, my wife and I, Robin were, uh, volunteers, uh, worship leaders, uh, for a variety of reasons at this small startup church um, outside of St. Louis. And over the course of time, God really began to call me out of the marketplace and into ministry. And um, for that, I'm grateful. But if, if you really wanted like uh, one of those thing behind, things behind the thing, uh, when I was a, a young boy, mom, I, I was blessed to have a mom and dad who followed Jesus. Uh, my mom is still alive, but uh, the church that we attended and even the churches we attended were not exactly the healthiest places. And so I remember driving home from church one day and my mom in tears looking at my dad and saying, I can't believe Christians treat each other this way. And I I'm telling you, Alan, even as a little boy, there was a kind of a a wall that started going up. I never left the church. I never, I never bailed on any of that. But I, I honestly wondered if God got the memo that things were so not good in in the local church, or at least the one I was attending. And so I began to look and explore: Are there other ways to to get involved? And of course, there are. But He kept calling me back to to leadership in the church, and I had to get to a place where I, I trusted that He knew what He was doing. That he, that he still believed in the local church. And along the way, I fell back in love with things that can happen with a local missional church. But I never lost that commitment, that, that, that thing in my gut that said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so that began to inform how we started doing ministry together inside our church as God started to, to bless and as it caught traction here in the St. Louis area. And so I would just say this, here's my big disclaimer up front. Whatever we end up talking about when it comes to church health, personal health, I am in no way setting myself up as the expert or as the guy who bats a thousand. But I will tell you this, I can't go back to the old way of doing things. God has led us to a newer way and, um, I'm grateful for it. 
And it does focus around this idea of, of relational health, uh, church health, uh, which just folds dovetails right into a personal health that I think personally is one of the guards against this burnout that we see uh, in ministry, in leadership in general. So that's kind of the the background. The church is a, we're a multi-site church, um, have a lot of folks who are coming to our church who uh, are, are what I would call under-churched or, or, you know, maybe they were in church when they were when they were younger or have never been in church. And we have a lot of folks that are stumbling through our doors that are what I might call over-churched. They've had some bad experiences. They're a little disillusioned, a uh, high level of skepticism there. And we have four sites around the St. Louis area, and God has blessed us with a ministry that uh, is continuing to have an opportunity to, to jump into things here in St. Louis. Awesome. Man, it's interesting. You said, we don't want to go back. Uh, I've never met a leader that's gotten healthy and said, you know what? I just miss that chaos. I miss the dysfunction. Uh, you know what? I've been Sabbathing for a few years. Just don't think it's worth it. I have never heard that before. And it's interesting that it is something that is so important but health is never urgent until maybe it is. Maybe you have a heart attack. Maybe, you know, your wife says, I'm going to leave you if this doesn't change, or you need to be done in your ministry, in your job or, or whatever. There's kind of those wake up moments. Uh, and I've heard that so many times. Uh, but yeah, I mean, hungry people change. We don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And so I'm sure that's a whole nother episode we could dig into. What was that change process like? But I want to focus on the genius of one. You talk about leadership and um, how we lead in a unified way in fractured times. Um, let's start with that word fractured. Why are we so fractured today in our culture and in the church? Well, um, let's let's start off by saying that the first part of your question is really, I think, informative in that the world is fractured. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone would argue with the idea that, uh, that we're seeing uh, things just breaking down. There's a quote at the beginning of, of the book from uh, Harvard professor Dean Williams, where he starts talking about how we see these systems breaking down, whether it's institutional, economic, political, environmental, we're seeing these things just fall apart. And uh, you and I could could go theological on this very quickly and say, uh, you know, th th these are the ramifications of, a, of, of the story that has rebelled against the creator. Uh, you know, in, in Romans 8, when Paul talks about our even our planet is groaning, there, there's no argument there. The thing that I'm beginning to sense and have been, been sensing is that there is there's a need for the leadership to come from within the church. That quote I was telling you about with, with Dean Williams, at the end of it, his last question is, we all frustratingly ask, where is the leadership? Well, I see this as a, a, a just a profound opportunity for the people of God to step into these fractured gaps and to show something different, to be truly, to be brokers of peace and to be the kinds of people that uh, walk into these situations instead of pulling away from them. Uh, I think this is how we can lead, but it cannot happen. It won't happen if we don't take care of things at home, if we don't begin to be intentional about our own relationships um, inside the church, inside our families, inside our friendships, if we don't start there, um, I don't think we have much credibility in the world when we start trying to tell other people, hey, here's how we can get along better. 
Um, so for me, as complicated as these problems are in the world, uh, and this may sound naive, but I believe we must start with with what's happening closer to home. First of all, I think that's I think that's exactly what Jesus prayed for us. Um, you know, if you go back to John 17 and the worst night of his life, Jesus knows that that it's all about to fall apart. You, you want to talk about fracturing? Uh, he's dismissed the betrayer from the table. At some point, they leave the upper room. Uh, they're not quite to the Garden of Gethsemane, so someplace between the garden and the upper room, he prays what we find in John 17. He prays for himself. He prays for those disciples, but then he prays for those who will come to believe because of their witness. Well, if you take that all the way out, that's us. And your listeners will know this. Alan, you know this, but I think it's worth repeating. Jesus doesn't pray for us there to be clever, to be popular, to uh, to be to, to win all the theological arguments. He doesn't pray for us to be healthy and wealthy and powerful. Um, he prays for us to be one as he and the Father are one so that the world may know that the Father sent him. So when time is of the essence, what does Jesus pray for us? He prays for us to be one. And so the rest of the book really is exploring what does that look like in practical terms for us to, to, to reflect, honestly, Trinitarian love, the kind of love that flows between the Father, Son, and Spirit. What does that look like in our everyday lives? Uh, it's tall order. Of course, we didn't cover it all. But that's really where we go from there. And I believe that's how we get to enter into this fractured world. Yeah, give us a couple of those practical steps. We're always saying, let's get ridiculously practical. What are some practical ways that we can grow in unity in these fractured times? Yeah, well, okay, so let's let's start with this. Um, and, and you were mentioning it a second ago when you said, um, sometimes we wait until things blow up in our face, in our families, in our churches. And then it seems like we've, we've, God has our, our full attention. I think that you start with this, the, the weight, you have to allow the weight of what Jesus is saying to truly settle in on you. I think for me, you begin to look at Romans 12 and other places where Paul is describing us as a, as a body that, you know, that famous metaphor, and there's an organic nature to that. And if we really begin to value that, then then I believe we're also called to tend to that, to celebrate that, to protect that. So here's one of the things that that I would say. Um, I think as leaders, since we're talking to leaders, I think one of the things that must happen on a just an everyday basis is we must tend to the culture of our church. Now, I know culture is a funny word. It gets used a lot of different ways, but I, I'm going to... I'll say it simply, um, how we do what we do is as missional as what we do. And I think a lot of times we lose sight of that because what we do is so important. The, the various things that, uh, that, that leaders of NGOs, the, that leaders of local ministries, that leaders of churches, leaders of, of organizations and entrepreneurs who are starting new things in the kingdom. It, what we do is so important, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that how we do what we do is as important as what we do. Because I think what we're seeing today, Alan, in, in a general sort of a way, and this is not a new phenomenon, but I think what we're seeing today is um, we're reaping what, what the, the, 
really what happens when all we do is focus on the what or maybe one particular metric. So this is growing or this is happening. Meanwhile, we're leaving a wake of broken and hurt lives behind us. And that's just got to change. So as leaders, you have to you have to pay attention to both what you're doing and how you're doing it. I, I, I tell a, a story in the book about um, I love to fly fish and I, I'm, I'm getting better, but I'm not particularly great at it. But if you've ever been fly fishing or seen it, it, it done well, it's, it's really poetry in motion. You got all these things working together and you actually have to concentrate and get in the rhythm. And, and you know, you got to get that line out there and then you're paying attention. So that's all of that. But when you're fishing in Alaska, I've had the, the, the privilege of fly fishing in some really remote streams in Alaska, which means that there are uh, Alaskan brown bears everywhere. And I've had a few, uh, I would say, rather close encounters with these bears. And th- the temptation when you're fishing is to do one or the other, to be so frightened of what's happening around you that you don't fish at all. Or to get so caught up in making sure that everything lands in the water just the right way, that you're paying attention to all of that, that you simply do not pay attention to what's happening around you. So the the, the title of that chapter really is, um, if, if you as a leader are going to do this, you got to remember that there is an enemy who is prowling at the edge of camp. And Alan, I would suggest that if he cannot get us to stumble in these horrible headline producing moments. He will sniff around the the side doors and the back doors and the windows that are open. He's sniffing at the edge of camp. And oftentimes it's to try to get us sideways with each other inside the context of our team. So the punchline is keep one eye on the fish and one eye on the bear. You are constantly living in the tension of both of those. That would be a very practical start for any leader to consciously say that, talk about that, and really kind of as leaders and your leadership team to hold yourselves accountable to that. Always missional, but that mission includes what you're doing and how you're doing what you're doing. I love that, Greg, not only because I'm a fly fisherman, but yeah, okay, um, because it is, it's so key. You're right. Both. Otherwise you're just watching for bears um, or you are putting yourself in deep danger um, there in the Alaskan wilderness. And and I do think wilderness is where we're at right now in our culture today. I think uh, it is it is an extreme moment, an extreme time. And I think it's eliminating much of the middle of Christianity. I don't think there's any more social advantage to being a follower of Jesus anymore. And I think our churches are taking the call very seriously. What does our witness look like today? And I'm also, as you speak, I'm also hearing the word posture, that our posture is so important that people might even disagree with our final answer on something. But if we can track on a posture that's not one of outrage, um, how much more can we have a witness in our community? There are people attending our churches who do not believe our bottom line and yet are drawn by our posture. So I love that. I love how practical you've made culture. And I don't think I'll forget that analogy. One eye on the bear, one eye on the fish. Um, Whenever you write something, of course, it makes an impact on your own life and the life of your church. How have these principles from the genius of one made an impact on your church and on your own life? Well, okay, so to, to start off with this idea of posture, um, if, you, if you keep rolling with that, what you see certainly inferred in, and Paul just calls it out in those uh, 
like in Romans 12, where he's talking about the body, there is a posture of humility where you're, you're, you're admitting, Hey, I can't do this on my own. And really the next thing that comes right along with that is there are people in my midst on my team, or here we go on another, in another church who do something better than I do them. And so there's this idea of submitting to one another, communing with one another, deferring to one another, celebrating one another, which takes us right back to life within the Trinity, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds exactly how these gloriously powerful persons of Father, Son, and Spirit are, are working together. And so that on a team begins to affect how you celebrate, how you how you champion, how you defer to one another, how you work together. Um, on our best days, I hope that that humility begins to fuel how some of these things happen, which starts to lead into what I would call, you know, the fun aspects of this, which is, you know, the creative collaborations and, wow, you're coming up with an idea, but then you hold it out there openly and then you're allowing me to maybe tweak it a little bit and we begin to juice this thing together. And those are the fun parts of working together, but none of that really happens. And I don't think people take those risks unless there is a, a baseline humility that is cultivated. Of course, it comes from being, um, infused by the spirit. I mean, none of this is going to happen by you and me just grunting it out. This is all God-given. It's it's the spirit coursing through us that makes any of this possible. But I think humility is is one of those things that you hopefully begin to see on teams and, and even on our team on our best days. You'll see that, that deferring to one another and celebrating one another, and you got to be intentional about it. You have to intentionally choose. Again, I... I, I, I I'm working off of the assumption that so many of your listeners are leaders in one capacity or another. I would say as leaders, one of the things we have to do is to consciously step out and away from the spotlight so that somebody else can 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 be there. This isn't about the spotlight, but I'm really talking about the focus and the attention and the credit because you you want others to be a part of this story that God's writing inside your organization or church. And I think as leaders, it is a constant discipline to step aside and to allow some of that to take place. Um, So that would be like the first thing that comes to mind. I will tell you the second thing that came to mind was um, the commitment to not allow conflict to fester. Now, conflict happens we, we know what happens. That's why we see so many places in the New Testament, uh, some practical wisdom of how to do things, whether it's Jesus in, in Matthew 18 or whether it's uh, some of the writings of Paul in his, in his pastoral letters. There are practical things that we can apply to conflict. Here's what I would tell you. As we have valued this uh, working together as one, it hasn't eliminated conflict. It has not eliminated disagreement. It has not eliminated us getting sideways with each other. I think it's lowered the amount of it, but there's no way I'm telling you that it's limited and and we've eradicated it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen until we're fully healed, uh, you know, when we see Jesus face to face. But I will tell you this, we seem to tolerate it less. We seem to tolerate the, the kind of the long accounts 
with each other where we're just keeping score and keeping score. And then, you know, five months later, something blows up. I'm finding that that as we stay sensitive to God and all of this, we also, it, it kind of runs us in some ways, Alan. I, I'm, I'm thinking of a moment with uh, with someone. So we, I have four, we have four weekend services, uh, two on Saturday night, two on Sunday morning. And, you know, in a, in a large church, you got all these details going. There are times that you're moving fast. You've got all these moving parts and variables, and sometimes you disagree on things. I, okay, that's normal. But when we get sideways with each other, I have found we can't even go through the rest of our services until we've at least committed to making things right. So I'm thinking of something that happened in between two Sunday morning services a few weeks ago. And without going into the details, um, someone said something. I took it one way. I said something. They took it another way. Um, And to be honest with you, I think we both could have listened a little bit better, but I know for a fact I could have done things differently. Now, we didn't blow up at each other, but it was just a little friction. I couldn't go out and teach Until in real time, I'm talking like sitting there on the front row in front of God and everybody. We did not hash the whole thing out. But I looked at this fellow pastor and said, okay, whatever that was, can we, I I didn't mean it that way. Can we sift through that when I'm done? Because I want to make this, I want to make sure we're right. Wow. And that's in the middle of the service, Greg? Oh my goodness. I'm telling you, you know, now I'm going to sound, you know, it was during the offering. Like it's 60 seconds before I go up there. Wow. Now here's the thing. You could say, well, you just didn't want to go up there with stuff on your hands. You were absolutely right. But it was a commitment. It wasn't a, oh, can you make me feel better before I get up there? And this person also needed to kind of feel something. So they look at me and go, yeah. And with a smile on their face, yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about this after the service. And you know what? None of that matters if we didn't talk about it after the service, but we did. And there were a couple of things that we had to work through and go, oh, okay, all right, I'm not going to say that that way anymore. Or, oh my goodness, I had no idea that's what you meant. But I, for one, am finding that we're making mid-course corrections a little bit earlier. Again, with the disclaimer that we're not always doing this the right way. But on our best days, we just are keeping shorter accounts. Hey friends, these are interesting days we are navigating here. Whether you are a church leader, a nonprofit leader, or a business leader, we know there's a lot going on in your mind and heart right now. And one of the things that we want to remind you of is that in the midst of this crisis, you need to stay healthy. You need to continue to lead your family, continue to lead your organization or your team. And ultimately, you can't be around screens all the time. So we hope that you're taking a weekend. We hope that you are building in time for Sabbath, but we also want to make sure that you are growing as a healthy leader. We are doing spring cohorts, one male and one co-ed cohort to help you get healthy and reach more impact. We realize on the other side of this, we're going to have a lot of unhealthy leaders, but some of you want to recover your passion for work. You want to get your evenings and weekends back. You want to find practical solutions and you feel stuck right now. So we would love for you to consider jumping into our cohort. Those start in early April. So those are coming up and we've got some slots available. We'd love for you to consider jumping into one of our healthy leader cohorts. We want you 
to get healthy, to stay healthy, and to continue to lead healthy for the long haul. Go ahead and go to stayforth.com backslash coaching. That's stayforth.com backslash coaching to check out our spring cohorts. We would love to have you jump into one of those. That's good. That's good. Like that the flesh is still there and at work, but we can't tolerate it to the level that we could before. Um, Greg, other than conflict festering, what are a couple of other unity killers that we need to be watching out for? Yeah, gossip and the power of our words. Um, There's a reason I believe that God led me and led us to talk about this openly in the in the book in, in several chapters, but you know, when Proverbs says that our words have the power of life and death, let's not overstate this. I'm, I'm not telling you that, you know, if this is not me moving into a realm of theology where every word that comes out of my mouth is somehow sympathetic magic that controls God. And now he's in a corner and has to do things my way. Believe me, I'm not saying that about our sovereign God. What I am saying is that my words have the power to give you some life, to encourage you, to build you up. And my words have the power to stab you and to, to suck life out of you and to, to really scar you and to hurt you. And so we're trying to pay attention to that. We're trying to pay attention to our language when it comes to social media, when it comes to things that we're saying from the platform. But we're also trying to pay attention to words that we say when that other person isn't in the room. So if you go to Romans one and you see a whole list of things that Paul mentions that are, when you start to see things like, uh, like, like God haters and, and, and some of the other uh, sins that are mentioned in Romans one, right in the middle of that, depending on which translation you have is this idea of gossip, people who are gossipers. Well, that's not a, neighborhood we want to live in. I mean, that's the, that's, that, that means that this is a sin that has real effect and real weight. And I'm afraid that sometimes gossip in all of its forms in our churches, it's kind of become the, the weapon of choice of Christians. We kind of, we, we, we make jokes about it. We, um, we, we, we minimize it. We, we seem to forget that it's, we're really we're attacking the body of Christ when we do some of this behind each other's backs. And so we've tried to call that out real specifically in some of our teaching and some of our classes and things like that. Uh, the word in the Greek there is the word pistoristes. And it's, um, it's kind of an onomatopoeia. You know, it sounds like what it is in the Greek. Uh, when you take it all the way back, some of the, some of the, uh, folks who try to kind of find out where the origin of some of these words comes from. It relates to the kind of the weird whisperings of a snake charmer. Hmm. Okay. So now fast forward to another weird story. Um, in India, when I've been to India a few times, one time with uh, some dear friends, a, uh, I was invited. Uh, we, we were kind of walking through this sort of rustic, you know, hot jungly area and they had, arranged for a little bit of a surprise for us. And there were these snake charmers there. Well, I'm not going to get into whether that's an appropriate thing or not and what's happening to the snakes. I have no idea. Uh, I just know that we were there. We saw this 
And uh, these guys looked out of central casting. I mean, they looked like they should have been in the movies. These guys are exactly what you would think when you're thinking of snake charmers. So the rest of the story is I'm trying to kind of get a laugh out of our team. So I move behind this one gentleman who has this beautiful white hair. He's got a headband on. He's got, you know, these cobras that are there and he's playing this flute. It's, it's everything you would think stereotypically. So now I'm standing behind them, him trying to get in the, in the frame, you know, so that I can sort of photobomb the shot. He sees that, looks at me and doesn't speak English at all, but pats the ground beside him inviting me to sit down with him. So now like I'm on the hook because all of my friends are laughing and going, well, you got into this. So now I sit down next to him. He scoots this wooden container over about 18 inches away from my leg and takes the lid off. And a cobra comes up out of that thing and starts staring at me. And I got to tell you, um, that's, that doesn't happen to me very often. And, and what that's I, a moment. That, yeah. that, that is a moment you go, I don't know how this is going to yeah. end. How did I get here? I, I, in my head, and, and pastors will totally, I, I know your pastors that are listening, we're always looking for a good story, right? So I, you know, <laughs> That'll preach. Right, that'll preach. I literally am having this conversation in my head saying, you have overreached, son. You went, you went too far this time. And I, 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 I remember the sound. I remember the hair on the back of my neck going up, but here's what I remember. I remember the color of that cobra's eyes. They were kind of a milky blue. And I don't know why, but it just surprised me. Now, somebody told me later that that's the color of a cobra's eyes when they're right before they're beginning to shed their skin. I, I don't know if that's what happened or not. I just remember that feeling and, and, and looking at that cobra's eyes. Okay, so now go back to the word that Paul uses, which describes all of this. My point and the point we try to make to our folks is when, when, you're, when you're engaging in gossip or when you're even close to gossip, when somebody comes up to you and in that really creepy quasi-Christian language kind of couches something that is flat out gossip and really what they, you know, they'll say it in a way like, well, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but we need to pray for so-and-so. And then they start dropping stuff they really shouldn't be talking about. Or, I mean, you know, you hang around a church long enough, you learn how to do this. When we tolerate that, when we tolerate somebody talking and complaining and really kind of going too far behind someone's back with something, when they really should go directly to them, because that that's how you'll take care of it. When we get that close to those kinds of whisperings, we're in trouble. So the way I tell our folks is, when you're close enough to the cobra to see the color of his eyes, you're too close. You need to back away. We need to do things differently. And so we're trying to teach our folks to not tolerate that kind of language. So if you, if, if, if I come to you, Alan, and I'm trying to stir something up and you've been a part of like our body life class where we teach some of these principles, it, it would not be, it would not be out of the ordinary at all for you to say, Hey, Greg, have you talked to so-and-so about this? Because if you haven't, you've got to, I'm not listening to any of this. I'm actually going to come back to you and ask you if you've talked to them about this because you you have to go to them. I'm I'm not I'm not playing along. And I believe if we began to reject some of that ugliness, a couple of things happen. One, God is honored because of the way we're doing this. I think we feel safer. You ever left a room and you knew as soon as you left the room you were going to be the topic of conversation? Because that's a lousy feeling. But if there's a kind of safety in the room, now you're going to begin to risk 
sharing more, uh, creating more. Uh, you're going to go further with people. So I think that's a part of it, that inside the church itself, inside these relationships, we're more productive, we're more life-giving. But now watch, we'll go right back to the beginning. The more we do that, my friends and your friends who are pretty much on the outside looking in and seeing if we're different, when they see us treating each other that way, it's in stark contrast to the rest of the world. And even if they don't have all of their theology lined up yet with who Jesus is and the claims that he's making in the Gospels, even if they still have huge questions about very important issues, there is something winsome about the way you and I are loving one another that begins to create some intrigue about our, our, our life with Jesus. And we're right back to how missional this is and to the prayer Jesus prayed in John 17. That's uh, humbling, and uh, I actually think beautiful. I think that could be an apologetic, like you're saying. If this is how these people treat each other, then I'm interested. I want to hear more about this versus the opposite being true of, man, I don't want any more of that dysfunction. Greg, this is so important, so timely. I'm so glad uh, you wrote this book. Haven't picked it up yet, but I am excited to to pick up this book. And uh, if you guys are listening, saying, I, I even smell like this is on me. Spend some time going back to the Lord on this. This stuff, can the seeds of destruction can get into this, but like you said, also life is in our words. Um, Greg, we could talk for more hours about this. I'm sure let's let's grab a, a coffee at some point uh, when we're in each other's cities and and just continue to talk more. Um, I know you have a, a book coming out. Um, share just a peek into uh, your next book that's releasing here uh, next fall. Yeah, it's entitled Never Settle, Choices, Chain Reactions, and the Journey Out of Lukewarminess. And so the jumping off point is Revelation 3, when Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Um, and I spit you out of my mouth. And so we we take some time to understand the context of of how hot and cold are both good things. It's the lukewarminess that's getting us in trouble. And hopefully what it is, is uh, not unlike this book where there are some, some applications of scripture and some real life stories and examples that call us into some choices that we can make that really start to set off chain reactions of goodness and grace in this world. And I, I think Everything we were saying about this fractured world still applies. What we need are Christians who are, are working together, loving one another, the genius of one, and Christians who refuse to settle and to sit back. I think God's calling us into the world. I think this is such an opportunity for us. In both of these books, by the end, there's real hope. I, I, don't, I don't want to leave you with the impression that this is a, oh boy, these are the, oh, everything we're doing wrong. I think the church sits at such an opportune moment. We can, we can do this differently. And when we do, you know, the, the, the great name of Jesus is proclaimed and things start to change. We can do this differently. And that's my prayer. The second book is sort of a, an extension. It sort of rolls out of this first book of now, how do I live this life differently? So that's my hope. That's my prayer is that we will make a difference in this, in this world. Um, be easy for us to sit back and kind of huddle together in some fortress and wait for Jesus to return. But that's just not what we're called to do. 
Agreed. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. Looking forward to this next one coming out. We always end with this question. We want to get kind of a close up on your life. What are some of the practices that have sustained your life in your health? Well, for me, um, I was just with uh, Nikki Gumbel at, at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton in London. And it's interesting, Alan, he just asked this question. And, um, you know, I can give you, he was surprised, I think, by a couple of my answers, but um, we can go through the spiritual disciplines that are, you, you can't ignore these things, but I'll, I'll give you just a couple of thoughts here. One of them is uh, prayer is such an important thing. It, it, it's an expression of my dependence on God, but I want to give you a variation on that, that uh, my wife and I have learned. And that is um, praying regularly, regularly together with your wife, your spouse, your your husband, if you if you're married, it's it's an and 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 I don't mean bowing our heads in a time of private prayer, uh, you know, at the beginning of the day, and even though those are wonderful things, I'm talking about out loud, conversational prayer. When Robin and I are praying together, oftentimes we'll interrupt each other in that prayer as we're it's like we're coming together to God and she'll begin to pray something and, and, and something will stir in and I'll go, Oh yeah, God. And then this is what I'm worried about. I, I hear what Robin's saying, but and it's like, we're both just standing in the room with him. That has done something for our relationship with our heavenly father. But you already can imagine this has done something to our relationship together. And I will tell you, um, I think, I think it's, I, I, I think we're at a place now where we, we are beginning to understand how important it is for pastors and leaders to tend not just to the culture and the health of their church, but to the culture and health of their families and specifically to the culture and health of their marriages. For Robin and I, this is a part of our emotional health. And then the second thing would be really just that cultivation of safe, vulnerable friendships that begin to reflect some of this in our lives. Um, that, that, that we've been talking about. Um, I'm blessed to do this with people that I love and trust, but I am doubly blessed to do this with a circle of friends that will love me and care about me when I'm done being the pastor here. I'm blessed to have a circle of friends that honestly really champion me and, and, and encourage me, but they don't think I'm a bigger deal than I really am. And that is such a healthy thing that every leader must seek out because leadership isolates. And there are times that you have to call for the ball, times that you have to do this. But Alan, um, without going into great detail, I've just seen too many leaders buy into the lie that somehow they're supposed to do this alone and that God has called them to be this lone figure at the top of the mountain. That is such a recipe for disaster. It is not emotionally healthy. It's not good for your marriage. It's not good for your kids. And ultimately, I think you are in grave danger of something happening in your ministry that will shock you because you didn't build a, a, a circle of people around you that will lovingly not just speak truth to you, but champion you. There's sometimes I have to walk away from all of this. And it's one of those friends that, that, that grabs me by both shoulders and says, Hey, you're not crazy, man. You're not crazy for caring this much. I'm with you. Let's do this. So for so many reasons, I would just implore your listeners 
And yes, some of these principles are in the book, but I would implore them, pour into that prayer life with your spouse, open conversational prayer with God, and intentionally build a circle of friends. And I'm not saying it's easy, but you intentionally build a circle of friends who will love you in that way. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a key to my longevity. And I would say it's an antidote to burnout too. I really would. I know we started off with that. It is part of what allows me to continue to do this at, uh, at the pace and the rate that I'm doing it. Awesome. Well, thanks for that, Greg, and, and for letting us in. I wholeheartedly agree. We don't need more leaders of story, uh, leader stories uh, that end in crash and, and end in burnout. And man, we just, we see that, we hear that all the time. And I really think that when we dig in and think about health, um, although that is never sexy, it always makes its way to feed and nourish our families, our congregations, our churches, um, our organizations, our teams, businesses, you name it. Uh, and that is never wasted time. So thanks for that reminder. There is a difference between loneliness, the feeling that we get, and isolation, the posture that we take. And so many times we think, oh, it's lonely at the top. Um, and I agree with that in an emotion, but I do not agree that it is isolated at the top. I think it can never be isolated uh, yeah, at the that's top. That's a great distinction. That's a great distinction, Alan. Well, Greg, I look forward to connecting more. Uh, we'll have to have you back on the podcast when the new book releases. But uh, man, we should probably go out and catch some trout together at some point. So if you're ever out this way in Colorado, let's throw a line in the water. I am not a great fly fisherman. Man, I love it. Well, let's do it. That I'm let's 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 make that a goal. I love that idea. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Greg. Thank you. What a great episode. I'm so thankful for Greg's voice and that he is um, calling us to this kind of conversation. It's a conversation that honestly I think we try to avoid as church leaders. Uh, it's dicey waters, definitely, but it's one that we need to enter into. And so I'm thankful for the conversation that he brings up. If you guys are looking for more. Uh, information or more content on this, go back and look at episode 33 with Dan White Jr. He wrote a book called Love Over Fear, and it's talking about this exact type of thing. How does the church pursue love in an age of divisiveness? And so we love that episode with Dan. We hope that this episode has spurred you on to engage these conversations. And for me, I know that I was convicted, that I am naturally an avoider of controversial topics when it comes to preaching or my leadership or digging into it. But I really don't think we can be avoiding this topic as leaders, whether you're in the church, the business world, or wherever you find yourself. Once again, thank you for listening to the podcast and following along. We're so encouraged by the way that you guys are engaging with our podcast. And so if you have not subscribed, please do that. It'll give you notifications every time we drop a new episode on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And also, if you haven't rated us or reviewed us on iTunes, that's a really big help um, for their wonky algorithm to help us get into more listeners' earbuds. And so thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. So long.